It's, oh, Shauna, okay. Um, more of our uh, need to talk before the service, I guess, huh? Anyway, okay, children uh, may dis- be dismissed for Children's Church with Shauna Bays. Thank you, Shauna. And uh, Carl and Christy, thank you for uh, sharing that with us. Um, all right. Okay, I also had another message. Um, I think this is, is this Melissa's last Sunday? Melissa Hamilton and Brian and the children are leaving. Uh, But we continue to take votes in vain to keep them here because the government just doesn't understand um, that we love these dear people. And um, we are sure, um, especially thanking the Lord for Melissa's uh, God working in a miraculous way in uh, healing Melissa. Praise God. So afterwards, uh, just, uh, yeah, give Melissa your hug and your love and your prayers. Okay? Yeah. That's a good note to start with here. (laughs) Okay, sorry. You know, I don't know what kind of week you've had, and uh, that's not necessarily my business to know, but uh, you know what? God knows. God knows what you've been through, whether it's been a good one or a real challenging one. And um, do you remember what the Bible says? That he is a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And so... He wants us to continue uh, trusting him each step of the way. And so um, uh, you can trust in him. We are going through a, this series on um, the Protestant Reformation. Reformation 500. It's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It is very important. It's not, uh, you know, equal to what's uh, given to us in Scripture. But nonetheless, it is very important that we understand why it came about. And um, obviously, it had to do with uh, breaking away from and protesting. That's why it's called the Protestant Reformation, protesting the Roman Catholic Church and the things that um, the Roman Catholic Church was holding on to and thus teaching as authority. And so um, last week, we talked about Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura. Okay? And today, we shift over uh, here. Solus Christus, or Solo Christo. And uh, it's about Christ alone. So, um, we've got Christ alone. The evidences, this is what we want to talk about today. Looking at the evidences of Solo Christo. And... um, I want you to take your Bible and open up to Matthew chapter 16. And if you're needing to, use the Bible in the pew uh, shelf in front of you. It's page 821, 821 in your pew Bible. Matthew chapter 16. And um, this, I'm not exactly sure, but this is obviously um, the time before his Christ Passion Week, he's at this point in time, Jesus and his disciples are in the northern part of Israel, north of the Sea of Galilee. And um, at this point, we're uh, looking at, uh, in, you can follow along in your outline, obviously. Um, we're going to look at uh, three things in particular that are evidences of Christ being the one and only, the one and only. So, the location that Jesus and the disciples were at at this point was an area or a city called Caesarea Philippi. There's a lot of history behind this this, um, city. 
the main thing, uh, background-wise, to this city was there were uh, many shrines for false gods that the Greeks and the Romans were familiar with. And it just so happened in, in God's sovereign way that he, Jesus, being God in the flesh, used this opportunity to speak to his disciples about himself. And I, was, um, I had the privilege of going to Israel back in the late 1980s. Um, and it was a life transforming. It was just an amazing, memorable trip. And uh, uh, being able to be there in Caesarea Philippi, there's water coming from a rocky area um, out like a, like a, a stream flowing out of this, what was like, almost like this, a rock face. And uh, the, the water flowing. And in those days, anytime there's a source of water, there usually tended to be a lot of worship going on because people would turn it into a place of worship because they figured, well, the gods must be favorable to us. So there's a lot of pagan worship. And in the rock ledge, people had carved out certain um, shelf areas. And then they carved into those shelf areas uh, various um, names of gods, and but put little statuettes in those shelf areas. One of which was the god, uh, the mythological god Pan. Um, and then there were others. That's not the point of doing this, but the point being... Here's Jesus with his disciples. And we don't know exactly where they were when he posed this question. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? What what a setup. Again, because of the historical Connection, the historical significance. Here's um, all these shrines that are out there. Uh, I'm not saying there's multitudes of them, but there's enough shrines there to make it obvious that this is a place of worship and specifically worshiping false gods. And Jesus, the living God, turns around and asks his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Well, his disciples responded, and so what we've got here uh, in your outline, if you want to track along in it, is he's the head of the church. Simply put, he is the head of the church. And Peter, in his wonderful way, hits the proverbial grand slam home run by saying, Thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. And it's like all the spotlights show down on Peter, right? Yes, that's right. (laughs) And we're really excited for Peter because he said the right thing. He came up with the right answer, right? But wait a minute. Look at verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we have his confession. Letter A, his, the, the confession. That's what we're building on. We're not building on Peter. We're building on what Peter stated, the truth statement from Peter. This is critical. And so it is, Jesus, in verse 17, is basically saying, Peter, this is not of you, this is of the Lord. It's his doing that you get it, that the light comes on and that you can say what you've said. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's here in verse 18... I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's here in verse 18 where there's been poor translation, misleading translation. 
And over the centuries, people have always figured that it's about Peter. And so let's build our church on the person of Peter, on the role of Peter. But when we look at it more closely, Jesus is saying from the the Greek language, and I also say to you that you, Peter, are a little stone. And upon this rock, this ledge, if we were there at Caesarea Philippi, we're going to... I'm going, I will build my church on this rock. It's a difference of terminology here. Here's a little stone. I can pick it up and I can throw it around or whatever. But here's a ledge. Here's a, a rock. Here's a foundation. And by missing the meanings and obvious differences between the two Greek words and missing scriptures, overall testimony about Peter's identity, who he was, what he was called to do, how he understood himself in Scripture before the Lord of the church, as well as Scripture's, as well as missing Scripture's overall teaching about the church. When we, when we ask the question, what is the church? You know, we, we're driven again to different portions of Scripture, different books of the Bible that tell us what the church is, what the true identity of the New Testament church should be and what its leadership function ought to be. And so, thus, here are reasons why the Protestant Reformation rose up. Some of the reasons, not all. Because again, this all didn't, this didn't all happen at the point of, with those 95, uh, arguments posted on the church of, of Wittenberg. It didn't happen all right there. It happened over a period of time. And as people got to looking at what scripture is saying, they started realizing, well, here's faulty ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, it's faulty. Here's faulty Christology, the study about Jesus. And not only do we study this to know what happened in in history, we study it so that we can continue on with the idea behind the Reformation, that we would study Scripture. What does the Scripture say? And, you know, again, I, I, I address you, you know, here you are in, in Fallon, America, dealing with your, the things that you deal with week to week, day to day, week to week, month to month. And it's like, it rarely deals with historical stuff like why the Reformationists pulled away from the Catholic Church. <laughs> but the core, the heart of this, it does deal with it because you and I, if we're saying we're Christians... We're called to have a deeper appreciation for what the Word of God says, not what we've learned from tradition. And by the way, you know, we here at Parkside Bible Fellowship, it's not like we've got everything in order. You know, it's like we need to continue with the idea of evaluating and examining ourselves and our ministry. Why? Because we are creatures that tend to be given towards tradition. More than truth. We want to be standing with the truth and standing on the truth. And we argue that and protest and all that. You know, we say we're, we're right. But we have, uh, we, we have to continue examining things, right? Are you with me in that as a, as a believer? We, we have to keep continuing, you know, to examine our own lives and examine what's going on. Is this, um, you know, it's, it's the spirit of discernment. We need a spirit of discernment. Why? Well, the enemy, Satan, wants to counterfeit everything. That's why, you know, there's so many, here's um, so many ideas about how to get to heaven, how to be made right with God. And it comes back to you. You better do this. You better do this. And you better do that. And you better act this way and live this way and do all these things. And the list grows, right? That's works righteousness, my friend. That's not faith righteousness. That's works righteousness. If you get caught up in that, then we're just like so many others that build our 
lives on the idea that I better work for my relationship with God. And you and I will fail in that if that's how we're going, if that's how we're living. That's what drives us. And so, this whole emphasis of the Roman Catholic Church really puts too much emphasis on Peter, making him the Pope. Uh, Too much emphasis on, on priests and the position of priests and their authority needing to go to confession. Putting too much emphasis on Uh, Jesus' mother Mary, putting too much emphasis on uh, saints and, you know, so-and-so is now uh, a a saint, considered uh, to be a saint in the the Catholic Church. And you know what happens with all that? Now there's a crowd and you can't hardly see Jesus. It's just a crowd. You know, well, you can pray to this saint or pray to Mary or, you know, whatever. And I'm not claiming, you know, to understand all the details of Catholicism. But what we're dealing with is is not, we're, and we're not angry or whatever or bothered with people. We're dealing with church theology and what, what has continued for centuries. So, when you look at the confession of Peter, what are we running with? What is it that we run with? Is it the truth statement or is it Peter? And now we've got a whole succession of popes following Peter. And we wrap up letter A by saying, what says the, what saith the scriptures? What does the scripture say? about church, about confession, all of that. Letter B, under number one, the claim. The claim Christ make is very significant. What does he say? I will build my church. Very ownership here. He's claiming the ownership. It's very significant. And because it is his He's the one who provides for the church. Later on in Ephesians, we read about it. He gives some as apostles and some as prophets. Those two roles, as you might be well aware, those two roles, apostles and prophets, they've now died out. It's not like I get to claim like I'm an apostle because I like the term. Wouldn't that be cool? Apostle Woody. But apostles were ones who visibly saw the resurrected Christ. Okay? And they died out. And what came following their dying out? The written scriptures. Here's the authorities in person. Here's Peter. Here's James. Here's John. Here's the other apostles. They're the authority for the church back in that day. As they died out, then here comes forth the written word of God. Men putting forth, the, here's, here's what truly is scripture. Okay? So, Christ makes his claim and he has promised to build his church. Secondly, he provides for the church, given some as apostles and prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers. He also protects the church. It's not that, you know, you've got really tough hombres as pastors here and we protect the church. (laughs) No, it's because of Christ protecting the church. He warned people about the church. And here are numerous epistles in the New Testament warning people, watch out for false teaching. Watch out. There's a lot of false teaching out there. Watch out for it. And so we, we want to study the New Testament epistles about the church to understand that. But in particular, you can jot down Matthew 23, verses 8 through 10. We're talking about the Protestant Reformation. Well, listen to what Jesus says. Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, by the way, he's not talking about his, you know, people's birth fathers. He's talking about addressing someone above you as father. Can you imagine, you know, you've got to call me now Father Woody or Father Brennan 
Your father Chris? No. Jesus said it. Don't call anyone your father on earth. And then he says, and don't and do not be called leaders for one is your leader. That is Christ. The whole emphasis of this in Matthew 23, 8 through 10 is about one leader, Jesus, one head of the church, Jesus. And he is the one who has promised to build his church. He's provided for the church. He will protect his church. And he does that through the ministry of the word of God. And then also he will bring about the growth of, he will produce the growth of the church. And again, it doesn't fall, it, it falls on leadership in the church to follow his word, not to come up with new ideas to say, well, let's try this advertisement and this marketing ploy to get more people to come into the church. Who's going to bring about the growth of the church? It's Jesus. Okay? Mark down 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to keep your uh, mark there in Matthew 16 and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 11. And Paul writes and says, and this is about the church again, okay? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, that's what Paul's saying, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. What does that say about leadership, right? It's, it's not about leaders so much, it's about God bringing the growth. That's what he's arguing. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Now you might think, well, see, Paul's claiming that let's make Paul the Pope. He's claiming to build on the... No, look at what he says in verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. He's the, he's the head of the church and he's the foundation of the church. Okay? All right, back to Matthew chapter 16. So, God, um, he's promised to build his church. He's provided for it. He protects it. He'll produce the growth. And um, and th- in that way, he'll do that through us. It's amazing that God would use people like us. You know, we humble ourselves before his, his almighty hand and, and his grace that p- pours out upon us. And we say, God, please use us for your glory. So, we, ne- we haven't done a thorough study here, but we just want to look at this and understand... Christ is the head of the church. Most of you get that and know that, but we need to put it there in front of the, and, and contrast it with, here's what the Catholic Church has do, been doing. And I, I know that there's, there's an um, awareness of here in a, in a reliance upon the Scripture for those that are in the Catholic Church. They, they rely on that. But there's also additions that are added on to that argument. Okay. All right, we've got to move on. Point number two. We just go to Matthew 17 right now, the next chapter, Matthew 17. At the end of chapter 16, Jesus is telling, you know, saying, you know what? Uh, some of you here, you're going to see um, uh, in verse 28, the last verse in, in Matthew 16, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Whoa. So now, here's a different level. Here's a different category. We've been talking about the head of the church. Now he's talking about being the coming king. He's the king who's coming again. Point number two. Okay? And he's basically now uh, at some mountaintop with three of his disciples. He's not with all the disciples. He's got three. Peter, James, and John. And they're on one of the mountains, and we not, we're not sure which one, but there is a mountain to the north, Mount Hermon, and a mountain to the south of Caesarea Philippi. 
And um, most believe that he probably went to the north, uh, the, the mountain to the north, Mount Hermon. We're not sure of that. But the point is, he's going to give them a preview of what he just said in verse 28. He's going to give them a preview. He's the king who's coming again. Verse 1 of chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his, and, his, um, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold... There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents or tabernacles, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise up and have no fear. Be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So here's some points about Christ alone, according to Matthew chapter 17, letter A, he revealed his true nature. He revealed his true nature. He's not just a teacher, a good guy, a really cool, uh, wise man. He revealed his true nature. He was transformed before them, unveiling his glory. Just like the brightness and the glory that we heard about in the book of Exodus the Shekinah glory. That's what's being described. It's an indescribable moment. It's amazing, spectacular. It's, it's majestic. It's simply glorious and brilliant. That's what's there with the description in, in here in Matthew 17. And letter B, he received honor and blessing. Unlike anyone else, he received honor and blessing. Honor in the idea that here's the old covenant representatives. Moses and Elijah, representatives of the old covenant. Here's Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the law guarder. He's guarding the law. He's speaking out against sin, right? And they show up to appear... They appear and they recognize his work and what's to come. How do I know that? Because Luke chapter 9 talks about that and tells us what they talked about. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 30 and 31, they discussed his deliverance, his departure. You know what the word is? We just went through this book. It's pretty nice. I like this. They discussed his exodus. That's the word there. And what what is that? And so many of the disciples wanted him to be the deliverer from Rome. They were political guys. They wanted to, you know, have their freedom. Reminds me of us a lot of times. We're talking a lot about our our politics and being, you know, here's one side of the fence or the other. Jesus wasn't about politics. He was about deliverance from what? Not from Rome. Deliverance from something far worse. Deliverance from sin. Deliverance from death. Okay? That's what he came to do. And that's what they talked about. And in a way, here's honor that Elijah and Moses are giving him. They're honoring him. They're recognizing him. And you know what? They recognize what he's going to be going to do. And here's Peter. Peter wants to get in on it. Peter wants to get in on honoring him. 
Peter's so excited he can't hold back from all that he's witnessing, so he speaks up in his attempt to honor all three of them. And they're on the mountaintop, and just like with the the Feast of the Tabernacle, the Feast of the Booths, Peter's in line here. He's thinking all the way along here. He's going, okay, hey, let me set up three tents. Let's do this. This is great. I love this. We, we can't let this disperse. Let's keep it going. I'll make three tabernacles, one for each of you. Obviously, Peter's desire was to set up the first retreat center on Mount Hermon. Right? He wanted to keep the moment. He wanted to maintain this incredible experience. This is unlike anything he's seen. He's seen the, you know, the, the miracles he's done, but now, this, I mean, phew. Up here, Lord, up here, we don't have any of these hassles. We don't have any of the struggles and the sufferings. Let's just stay up here. There's Peter's attempt to honor the Lord. But here's, it didn't work, we know. Because while he's still speaking, verse 5, here's the blessing now. Here's the honor and now the blessing. The blessing from God the Father. Behold, you know, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. It's the Father's divine approval of the Son. He's receiving heavenly praise here. And by the way, no one else, because we're talking of our our context here about the, the Reformation, no one else, no one else can receive the honor and blessing that is deserving, uh, that goes to Jesus. No one else. We need to understand that. That might seem basic to some of you folks that have grown up in church, but... You know, maybe others that haven't grown up in church, we must understand that He is far and above all the praise of men. He is worthy of our praise and our praise alone. Because really, you know what? No one else can please the Father like Jesus. You think you can please Jesus? I mean, you you think you can please God? You fall short. Because of your sin nature. It's only because of Christ and what He's done that you and I can then offer up what is pleasing to God. And that is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we offer up our praises too. You can mark down John chapter 8 verse 29. Just a reference there. John chapter 8 verse 29 where it says, And he, Jesus said, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the only one that can please God in the perfect way. God the Father never gave the blessing to Peter, James, or John. He never gave the blessing to Mary. He never gave the blessing to any other church fathers or any other saints. How do I know? Show me in the Word. Okay? Mary is honored. Mary is um, exalted as, you know, above all other mothers. But Mary is not the mother of God in the sense of universally speaking. She's the mother of Jesus, who is God... Okay. But again, here's the Catholic Church raising up what's not intended to be raised up in a worship of Mary. So, that's letter B. He received honor and blessing. Letter C. He reassures us with undeserved grace. He reassures us with undeserved grace. When the disciples heard the voice out of the cloud... By the way, that was another mirroring of what had happened in Exodus, right? Their response was they fell to the ground. They were terrified. They were terrified. Why? God's holy presence. Period. God's holy presence. They were terrified of. And then Jesus came to them. Now, each, each one of these phrases are very important. Number one, Jesus came to them. There's grace. Secondly, Jesus touched them. A physical touch. 
And then he said to them, here's words of truth, get up and what? Get up and what? Do not be afraid. Jesus is the only one that can say that in the presence of God. Get up and don't be afraid. I am the mediator. I'm the mediator. There's no one else. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who ransomed his life for the, the saints. <laughs> so we need to understand, here is his undeserved grace for the disciples, obviously, and for you and I, if, we're, if you're a believer. His undeserved grace is poured out upon us through Christ and Christ alone. Letter D, number two. Um, you know, this verse, it's like in chapter 17, verse 8. Look at verse 8. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And we kind of let that slide and say, okay. But there's two powerful pictures here of evidence of Christ being the one and only. Letter D, he is revered above all others. No one compares to Jesus. No one comes close. No one matches up to Jesus. Moses was a foreshadowing of him. Same with Elijah, in a sense. But no one lived perfect like Jesus. Everyone failed. Everyone fails except for Jesus. And this moment, listen, as you look and read verse 8... This moment, this little verse should be shouting to the people of the total and perfect preeminence of Jesus Christ. And you got to notice the very strong verbal emphasis here in verse 8. They looked up and what? They saw no one. They could have stopped the sentence right there. They saw no one. No, it goes on. They saw no one except, here's the exception, Jesus they could have stopped it there. But it went on to say, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Is that enough emphasis for us? On the fact that it's Christ and Christ alone. Then the last point here, under point number two, he will remain to complete his work and come again. And the reason we add that is because there he stands. He didn't kind of pack up and go with Moses and Elijah. They were gone. He's, you know, he is being revered above all others with that picture. And also he's remaining to do what? To complete his work. You know what? He had to go on down from this area and walk on down to Jerusalem and do what? Suffer for you. Take on the wrath of God and be the sacrifice for us. So he completed, he, he remained to complete his work and then to come again. It always works this way, folks. You know, he, he, he wasn't leaving at this scene. In fact, he's now ready to journey on down and do what he came to do. And it always works this way. There's pain and suffering. There is brokenness in life. But... For there to be glory, there's got to be first the suffering. As has been said many a time, no cross, no crown. No cross, no crown. And Jesus took on the cross, that bloody, brutal cross. And he suffered and he died there. And now he receives the glory forever and ever and ever. Okay, point number three. He's not only the head of the church and the king who's coming again, but he is the believers all in all. I give this section to you. It's on the back of your outline. These uh, references are here so you can study. But you know what? It's something that you can, you can continue studying. I, I just pulled these uh, six or seven points and put them out there. To say, he is the believers all in all. And it starts with letter A under number three, his, his name. We sang about it. We, the, the students read the, the passage from Acts chapter four, verse 12. 
That's powerful. And then we, we sang songs about it. That's powerful. There's no other name. No other name. Okay? Which his name leads to his very purpose. And that's what letter A is about. Um, in Matthew chapter 1, in Acts 4.12, in Philippians 2, uh, it's all about the name of Jesus. Call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Okay. Letter B, it leads right to his perfect righteousness. His perfect righteousness. Say it again. His perfect righteousness. So does that mean we don't have to add anything to it? Just a little bit of my good works? Say it louder. Thank you. And just so we're not confused, I don't have to add a stitch, an iota or anything to his work, but what should I do? I should follow with fruit in my life. We talked about that in students' class this morning. Do you bear fruit in your life that shows that you know Jesus, that shows that you're a disciple, that demonstrates I'm His? There ought to be that, right? So that's His perfect righteousness. By the way, Romans is all about God's righteousness and man's lack thereof. Hallelujah. And God presenting the one and only, again, the one and only Savior, Jesus to be our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5:21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5:21. Okay, um, letter C, his perfect completed finished work. Some of these are going to overlap. Okay? His but in John 19:30, he cried out from the cross, it is finished. Letter D, same kind of overlapping. It's his perfect sacrifice. We could say that under letter C, but I wanted to split it out because it's important to say it's a substitutionary sacrifice. It's not just a whatever kind of sacrifice. It's a substitutionary sacrifice that only Jesus could accomplish. There's also what we call his propitiatory. He was the propitiation for us since he took on the wrath of God He absorbed that wrath as he hung there on the cross for you so that you would not have to face the wrath of God because of your being rebellious, because of your sin or my sin. Um, Again, the the verses in the parentheses are important that you you, uh, take them and look them over on your own. Letter E brings about his perfect peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Ephesians 2, 13 through 15. And that leads to his perfect victory. Letter F, his perfect victory. If you don't understand that as a believer, you're missing out. You need to let the word of truth speak to your heart about his, all of these things. His perfect righteousness, his perfect sacrifice, his peace, and his victory. Which leads us to the last one, letter G, his perfect will. Are you, are you in his will? How do you know? I want to be in his will. I hope I'm in his will. We have those kind of responses, but how do you know? What saith the scripture? What does the scripture tell you about being in the will of God? Are you saved? Do you know Christ as your savior? And see, here's where tradition sneaks in. We say, well, gee, Woody, I've been a member of this church for 60 years. I don't care. I don't care. That doesn't make you right with God. Do you understand that? We need to understand that it's only through faith in Christ, faith alone in Christ alone, right? We want to be screaming that message out. We want to be able to translate it into our lives. Here's what my life is about. It's about faith in Christ. I'm honoring him in my life. I'm, no, I'm not perfect. I want to keep walking with him in my life. And I, I find that out through the word of God. 
Paul, you know, the, the Colossians 1 verse 9 uh, on letter G, his perfect will, he's praying that you and I would know his will and that his will is revealed in his word. Be in the word of God. Now, there's a list that you can add to. There's other things that you can add to in there, okay? About his, his perfect, um, uh, you know, different things that show his uniqueness. Number four. Number four, he's the one we fix our eyes on. And with what we've been saying, especially in regards to Matthew 17 and the brilliance of Christ... We say this for point number four. He's the one we fix our eyes on. Therefore, please remove whatever may be blocking the sun. That's a, that goes against our you know, technology you know, for our children nowadays. You, know, you put sunscreen on, right? Don't want to get burned by the sun or blinded by the sun. How many watched the eclipse not too long ago, right? What do you have to do? Put on those weird cardboard glasses. Listen, my friend, there's all sorts of ways that you and I eclipse the sun. We eclipse the sun of God in our lives. And our point here to wrap it up is let's not, let's get the stuff out of the way. Out of the way from blocking the brilliance of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. And we beheld His glory, as John writes. We beheld His glory. Have you beheld His glory? And so let's, let's get the things of, you know, these, these kind of things. It, it might be a difficult situation, difficulties, circumstances. It might be even disobedience. That can block the sun, obviously. It might be discontentment, which leads to discouragement and defeat. Those things block the sun. It may be some worldly idol. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's, you know, a new home, a new car, a new boat, new vacation, whatever. It might be a person that's blocking the sun. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a fantasy that's blocking the brilliance of Jesus. You keep bringing it up in your mind that it's a fantasy of some sort and you keep going back to it and that's blocking the sun. All sorts of things. Why? You're the problem. Me too. We keep propping things up hoping that it'll bring pleasure. Hoping that it'll bring fulfillment. We all know it really doesn't. And you look at what's going on in the world, it's a sad, broken world. And many are grabbing at things that are not going to help them one bit. It's got momentary pleasure. You and I must recognize I'm the problem. You're the problem. And let's... Let's come forth saying, I want to know the word better so that I can get stuff out of the way so I'm not hindering or blocking the glory of the Son in my life. He is the all-glorious one. He's the one who deserves our praises above all others. Look to Him continually. Look to Him no matter what you're dealing with. Whatever. I'm sorry. You know, cancer situations, things that hurt so much with loved ones, look to Jesus. And you can't just all of a sudden out of nowhere grab for Jesus because you need to be in the Word. You need to be walking with Him because if not, you'll be found wanting. Look to Him no matter what you're dealing with. Don't take your eyes off of Him. Encourage one another about this same thing. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, 
in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he's the radiance, he's the brightness of his glory, he's the exact representation of his nature, he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's nothing greater than what he did. He's the pinnacle of history, my friend. He is the pinnacle. There's nothing higher than Jesus. I know we've gone kind of a long distance here, but this is very important. And um, don't uh, just pass it along as uh, something, whatever. I, I hope that you'll grab a hold of this and... and Look at whatever way in your life and, you know, or for me in my life that we can say, let's get stuff out of the way of the glory of Christ in my life. Carry on with, you know, you, we, we all have to carry on with things in life, your work, your relationships, all that. But let's do our best to say no to those things that will block the sun from shining in his wonderful way. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. Next week, we will be uh, dealing with Solio de Gloria. And um, just be praying. Praying for that time in the Word there too. Let's pray together. Thank you, O Lord, for sending the perfect one, the one and only Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've accomplished to raise up rebels out of their rebellion, to turn wicked sinners away from their path of destruction and to turn them to you. And I'm one of them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to people here this morning that do not yet know you, that they would bow the knee and confess Christ as Lord and turn from their sin. Lord, we ask that you'd be glorified in all of these things. And again, Lord, thank you for um, our team in Africa. We again ask that you would work in your mighty way in how you've protected them and provided for them and please use them in a wonderful way for your glory. Lord, we also lift up the Hamilton family and thank you so much for them. Um, thank you for what you've accomplished in their lives. Um, we praise you for that, Lord. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.